Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast. Uh, it's been a while. It's been, uh, Jesus, almost a month since... Uh, Got an episode out to you guys. Uh, the Focus Hunting Podcast is part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. For more on the Waypoint Outdoor, make sure you head on over to waypointtv.com. Uh, on this episode, I'm joined by Mitchell Payment, host of Moment of Truth. Mitchell is probably the youngest dude you're going to find out there with his own TV show. Um, well, hunting TV show anyway. Mitch and I talk about a lot of great stuff, uh, including how he got onto television. We talk uh, about his pursuit of an of a amazing whitetail deer, Lucky. And uh, we talk a bit about archery, black bear hunting, and uh, what it takes to, to get on TV for those young and inspiring hunters who want to be the next Mitchell Payment. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Vortex Optics, the best in optics. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. Just uh, enjoying my coffee, and yeah, we'll hop on here and talk some hunting. Yeah, are you uh, staying cool over there? Trying. It's been so hot. <clears throat> I've been just running an AC unit this morning, trying to cool it off, but it's not too bad, you know. We were at the lake this weekend, and it was gorgeous. You just go in the water to cool off and stuff, so makes it doable. But otherwise, I don't know. It's going to get hotter here, too, the next few days. Yeah, man, it's crazy. What's the temperature out there supposed to hit? Uh, I think the highest it's going to hit is 38. And then oh, yeah. uh, with the humidity, they're saying it's going to feel like 41, though. So she'll be cooking. Yeah, she's warmer. Like 45 tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's killer. Is it a little <laughs> bit drier heat, though? Or? Well, we're right on uh, Okanagan Lake, right? So it's, uh, okay. it's a big lake. So we get quite a bit of humidity as well. But it's damn mm. hot, man. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, yeah, without air conditioning, you might die. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, You wonder what people used to do before air conditioners. Yeah, I guess just chill out and try to stay cool. I don't know. Can't work too hard, that's for sure, in the heat. No, man. I'm in, uh, the, I got a, a masonry company, so we're in the concrete business. and. Oh, yeah. It's uh, not very productive. Brutal. 
yeah no and it's like understandable too because it's just crazy yeah yeah everyone's hiding so uh mitchell payment thanks for joining me uh today bud thanks for having me i'm excited to be on here yeah so uh you know right off the get-go man i gotta you know i gotta ask you this and i'm sure you get a lot but uh how old are you i'm 22 turning 23 in november so pretty young yet (laughs) yeah especially for uh you know the hunting industries more so older demographic so i got into it pretty young though yeah how long you, uh how long you been on television now uh i think i want to say it's been six or seven years we started pro staffing for a show called the boneyard um that was kind of our first dip into television learned so much of them great guys we call them friends nowadays too so um then it just kind of progressed into starting our own but we've been filming our hunt since i was a little kid it started on youtube essentially and uh it kind of just a natural progression was towards tv yeah so you you uh now obviously i must have been hunting your whole life um so you're 22 yeah. that would be man that's young with 16 17 you're uh you're in the industry yeah yeah i uh think i believe when we first well i was 17 when we started our own business um booner productions producing a moment of truth tv but uh yeah, it's it's weird where the time flies. It seems like it was just yesterday that we were starting to we were starting green, starting to film our hunts with more high high quality cameras for television. And next thing you know, we're going into filming our sixth season, fifth season of Moment of Truth is airing this fall on Wild TV. So it's been uh, it's been a crazy journey. Um, it's it was always a dream of mine since I was a kid. I grew up, you know, when I could barely walk, I'd go hunting with my dad, and I just fell in love with it whether it was hunting or fishing, just being outdoors. And uh, then I was just addicted to watching DVDs. We'd go to wholesale sports or wherever, and I'd go to the DVD rack, pick out three or four, and I'd just watch them religiously before school. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the filming aspect and being able to relive your hunts. So we just bought a kind of a cheap camcorder, went out, just totally green rookie, and we were filming. And, it, you know, it was pretty fun because a lot of our family – some of our family doesn't hunt and then they kind of got an insight on what we what we're doing out there whether it's sitting in the stand walking around you know and then uh yeah the first time we went out filming we actually didn't even bring the camera we weren't dedicated we forgot the camera at home and sure enough I killed a nice buck and we're like oh I wish we would have had the camera and from that day on we were pretty uh it was camera come first and then the harvest so and yeah it's just been a wild ride since then yeah, no doubt, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to hunt, and then it's something completely different to hunt with a camera, for sure. And starting at a young age, that's that's just crazy. So kind of walk me through that process. Like, you're that old, and you said you transitioned from YouTube, but, like, how did you all of a sudden just get into television? Like, when a 16-year-old kid goes up to a network and says, hey, I want to I wanna be on television, <laughs> they're, they're going to look at you like, uh, what? Funny thing is, is that's exactly what we did. <laughs> <laughs> we had a meeting with wild tv we're like you know i think we have something to offer we were, you know just a father and son doing it just average shows and i think it was related we thought it was relatable at the time and we didn't really see that there was too much of that going on especially locally so we had a meeting with uh, scott at wild tv we had to sit down with him and he's like you know what there's one show that actually you might blend well with and gave us our contact info we met with them and yeah it kind of hit it off from there we started our first year. We actually captured some pretty good footage, and um, Calvin and Jason aired it on their show. And yeah, it was kind of a natural progression from there because we were there. We were, we filmed one or we aired one season with them, 
and then filmed another. And uh, they were kind of trying to, they're starting to phase out and go to like almost social media kind of thing um, to promote their companies. And so they recommended that we should start our own. And, you know, we learned so much through them. We kind of learned the ropes. And uh, when we started off, it kind of, we knew, we knew what we were in for, put it that way. And then, because uh, it's really not easy. It's a really tough industry. Um, but stop, anything good's got to start somewhere and it takes time and we're finding, we're learning that year by year. So yeah, that's kind of how we got into TV. Um, you know, YouTube's great too. It's a great starting platform, but, uh, we just wanted to reach more people than the day. And it was a dream of mine. So you only live once, you may as well pursue it. Right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. That's, that's awesome. So were you still in high school when, when all this was going down? Yeah, like when we started filming for the Boneyard, I think I was just getting, I was just starting high school. And then um, we started our production company, um, my graduating year, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. Wow. So what was that yeah, like? So, uh, being you know, in high school was, and all of a sudden being on TV. Yeah. It, you know, there, the, my generation, there wasn't a lot of kids in my school at Hunt. But yeah, there's a few kids that have actually watched the show and it's cool to talk to them about it and stuff. But uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too crazy. It was just, it, it was kind of norm for me. Cause I, that's all I kind of knew growing up, just making videos. And then you don't really think about it that way. Um, you just, uh, the way I look at it is I just like sharing my hunts personally. And, uh, if someone can get, you know, joy or, um, enjoy it, that's, that's all, that's all the validation I need. And I'd be happy with that. Yeah, that's cool. But, um, so you said you now, well, I know because, you know, I, I've watched the show and, and uh, I've seen what you've been up to for a while now. And I know that you, you spend a lot of time hunting with your dad. So is it just still just the two of you guys? Uh, you know, my girlfriend, uh, we've uh, been dating for three years and she never used to hunt before then. And uh, we, we went out a few times the first year. We got a deer and she, I could kind of see the spark in her eyes that she enjoyed being out there. And I mean, how cool is it to get up close to an animal, harvest it, and then eat it, right? So she kind of she kind of started getting interested in it. And the first year we went out and we did some bow hunting to start. We came so close to her target whitetail and we went spot and stalk mule deer hunting in the prairies. And I think uh, since that trip, she's been pretty hooked because there's nothing like hunting Alberta's prairies. I mean, it's beautiful country. We went down there, seen lots of game, had an amazing waterfowl shoot and followed it up the next morning with her first big game kill she arrowed a nice mule deer and that was featured in um season five there on or season four on moment of truth tv so i think ever since then she's kind of been hooked and we've been going out each year last year she had a good year had some close encounters with the bow and then ended up just harvesting a nice white tail buck with a rifle along with some waterfowl hunts so she's kind of been um in a few episodes for sure and then her dad uh started hunting as well and uh we've been going out and he'll be in a few episodes this season too. So we've been kind of doing friends and family. I mean, it's just dad and I for the most part, cause we're, uh, that's what we're dedicated towards, but uh, we've been taking, you know, family and friends out a bit more too and filming that hunt. Cause it's just, uh, you know, it's nice to get out with them and capture their hunts on film too. Yeah. And especially if, if people are new to, new to hunting, it's, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's so cool when you get to experience somebody's first, you know, their first hunt, because I mean, you, you know, you hunt for a while and you love it and you know, it's great, but you can never encapsulate that first hunt that, um, 
absolutely your first hunt your first kill your first deer stuff like that yeah, oh awesome. the emotions and the face expressions are just priceless yeah. it's like you know you, you you live that once but i mean that just never goes away i'm i'm almost excited as when i harvest the deer now than i did when i harvested yeah. my first one so that's why i love it so much when your heart's pounding and you're nervous and you got to make the shot it's all part of it i think if that went away um it definitely wouldn't be as fun for me personally yeah no doubt yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, there's something cool. I, I hunted uh, in Alberta last September. We were chasing uh, antelope there. I had a buddy out there, so I got to oh, go yeah. out and hunt with him. So it was pretty fun. But, uh, you know, I'm a muley freak. I love mule deer. And, man, I I think I spent more time glassing <laughs> mule deer than I did looking for antelope. But uh, it, was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. I would say Alberta, it's, it's not quite Saskatchewan level, but, man, we got some big mule deer. It's... Uh, I think it's just a bit more hunt. There's more population, a little more hunting pressure. Um, probably similar genetics because man, there's some big deer out there. It's uh, I'm just still, I'm still trying to, I'm gunning for that 200 inch mark. It's like a freaking long lost dream, but we'll see. Maybe one of these years I'll be able to get it done. Arrow one, but I think my biggest mule deer to date is 192. So he's pretty close. Beautiful deer. Yeah, that but is the beauty. They're out there. Just gotta get yeah. lucky yeah no. <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask you about that deer maybe we'll get into that a little later you're your lucky deer let's watch another yeah one. oh that big the big white tail or sorry oh yeah white tail sorry yeah but, yeah uh, that, we'll get into that, that guy later. was uh, yeah there's quite a story behind that guy but yeah it didn't end up the way i wanted it to <laughs> <laughs> no but but uh it's cool to watch and uh and and quite the story for sure but uh maybe before yeah, we get absolutely. into that i just wanted to talk a bit about um you know obviously you know you've been on you've been on tv for a long time and you've been hunting uh for even longer than that and you have had lots of success so i just wanted to kind of go through some of the things that you can maybe attribute your success to you know whether it's uh has a lot to do with just uh you know mentorship uh preseason scouting that that sort of thing what uh you know what what would be some of the you know the three key factors on on what you would attribute your success to uh, that's a that's a really good question um from what I've experienced and what I've seen in others, a big, a big contributing factor to your success is the area you hunt. You're, you're only as good as the area you, you hunt. Dad and I take real good pride on trying to find good spots to hunt, and that can be next to impossible. But uh, we spend a lot, every year we're always searching for, um, you know, a new spot to hunt. There's a lot of spots, especially like in the area we hunt, there's a lot of hunting pressure. A lot of spots are either spoken for or no hunting. So a uh, big thing is just searching. You know, you got to maybe knock on a lot of doors, but it's going to be worth it once you get that one good, one or two good properties. And then uh, maintaining that relationship, we really try to, you know, talk to the farmers all the time and, you know, keeping tabs with them. Try to, if they need a hand with anything, give it to them and, you know, try to respect them because they let us go in there and do what we love. And that, I'd say that's a big one. Then of course scouting um, for in the area that we live are predominantly there's white tails that we hunt in our area. Um, we travel for mule deer elk, and I guess we do hunt moose around here too. But that's a big thing as we scout. We uh, like last fall I harvested my buck on opening day. We just had basically them completely tabbed up where they're coming out in the one corner of the field. We went in there and harvested them. So um, yeah, scouting's huge. And then, yeah, I guess mentorship, you, you learn a lot. You can learn a lot from somebody who's been doing it longer than you. Um, my dad obviously hunted a lot longer than me, but he was more majority waterfowl. 
and uh we kind of he obviously deer hunted before but he uh he more so got into big game when i was because i was just obsessed with big game i do love waterfowl but there's just something about chasing deer and bigger animals with the stick and string that i was just obsessed with so we've learned a lot over the years and I, another thing too is like going back to that lucky story we hunted that deer it was like what i consider a world-class deer with amazing genetics as a three and a half or four and a half year old, he was already in the 170 inch range. And then he grew up to be almost a 200 inch, you know, pushing typical. So we hunted that deer for three or four years, learned so much while hunting him. At the end of the story, we didn't end up harvesting him. We had so many close encounters, but I learned more on how to target, um, get into like his bedroom and how to hunt him essentially. Uh, how not to, when to put pressure on when not to put pressure on um it was just uh it was a great it was a, I, it's something that I'll never forget hunting that deer I'd love to have him on my wall but I have all the memories and pictures and video of him that uh, will live on forever with me so yeah it was pretty cool and that's where I learned a lot you, basically experience and then maybe the property that you hunt and um obviously scouting I'd say those are probably some of the big attributes to being successful out in the field. Yeah. Experience is one thing. I mean, you know, you can read all the books and all the articles and watch all the YouTube videos, but until you actually go out and, you know, learn where to step and what to watch for in terms of wind and all that other stuff. There's so, there's so many variables going on that. Yeah. Experiences. Yeah. Is and the you, number. you can have all the experience in the world and you just keep learning every, every time you're out there, there's always something new to learn. And I'm, I'm surprised all the time. And I always, you know, try to remember how it went wrong because you don't really, when you, when it goes right, it just goes right. But it's when it goes wrong is when you learn the most. Oh yeah, man. I'm constantly getting schooled out there. Constantly. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're pretty wise them deer. It's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't matter though, you know, deer, so bear, elk, anything, yeah. man, you figure, you know, you got it figured out and then nope, teach me another lesson. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so how long were you guys watching that, that uh, deer lucky? Uh, you know, we, it was kind of, it was right when we started getting into bow hunting, we got this, we'd always see deer out in this field and we're like, ah, we're probably not going to get permission. It's got to be sanctuary. And we went in there and had a great conversation with the landowner and sure enough, he let us go in there. And I don't think this property had ever really been hunted like in 20, 30 years. And there's quite a few deer in there and some nice ones. And it was, it was honestly a dream come true. If, if I had to pick any other property, to hunt for just kind of starting out bow hunting that would be the one just the way it was set up it was almost like clockwork what these deer would do and uh it was just a blessing in disguise we had no clue when we got permission there and that's where i harvested uh, after my first buck i harvested on a di different piece but after that i think i harvested four or five um respectable bucks in there after that and it was just absolutely amazing and while we were in there sure enough there ended up being just an absolute monarch and this was him and we named him lucky because the first year we were sitting in the stand there was just a it was almost like a cattle trail through the grain field there was a draw they'd go through a grain field through a slough bed and then to the alfalfa to feed and they were always bedding in the same bush it was almost weird but we had set up a double tree stand and um the first night we ever sat there <laughs> or actually I guess it, the first night we ever sat in that double tree stand I harvested 150 class four by four just an absolute gorgeous buck I couldn't believe my eyes and there was deer everywhere I'm like wow I almost thought it was easy then 
looking back on it because it just it came pretty easy to us at the start because the property was just so good and then the following year we were we're like well we got a scout in the summertime and we'd go out there with the binos get up on a hill get eaten by mosquitoes and watch over the alfalfa field and sure enough there was just the you can you know he was just he stood out from the rest he was absolutely massive got good mass lots of tines and at the time I didn't totally know how to age deer that well because I was pretty new at it and I knew he was fairly mature probably four and a half I would have arrowed him definitely 170 some inch deer as a and I was like 13 at the time I'm like yeah he'd get her or 14 but then we set up in the stand first night and uh a beautiful buck came actually three bucks came by but the third one was a good deer he's probably 140 inch deer and I'm like ah I just I gotta pass him and at that age my dad's looking at me like I was crazy he's like what because he I don't even know if he had a buck that big at the time he did but with a bow and not close up close and personal and then the next year sure enough was just the giant and the way he came through kind of the same trail but one like 10 yards further out and there was just a we should have trimmed the lanes a little more because he was just behind some leaves and I tried to get down on my knees to get the shot and he just eluded us like he was literally 25 yards away and I was just devastated I got to watch him walk across the whole field and then there was a deer in there. He's a huge nine point. And he came right after. And I was like, I got to, I got to take him. And I crushed him and he went, but was 60 yards and went down. And it was weird as we were hunting this giant deer, we were able to harvest some really nice bucks while doing so. And I mean, if we would have held out, we probably could have got him. But at the time it was really hard to pass 160 plus inch deer. Um, and then the next year he blew up summertime watching him. And I was just so obsessed. I wanted him so bad you're watching this giant deer and you're so close to getting him and you know where he's living and uh once again he was just cat and mouse we'd be sitting on the one side of the field he'd come out floor stand on the other side and uh yeah that didn't get him that year end up harvesting a 177 inch drop tine buck that year in the same spot like it was just it was crazy i don't know that it, that area isn't the same like it was back then um just because the influx in bow hunters i think and uh with a couple harsh winters but yeah and then we just kept hunting him the following two years came really close to him and never got it done and then he disappeared for the last three years which i was i was so devastated when he didn't show up the following year um but it was pretty cool story because the following year when he didn't show up i believe it was one of his offspring had was finally growing up because he had very similar characteristics and I ended up harvesting him on September the 2nd. He's my biggest deer to date. He went over 180 inches full velvet and just an wow. absolute mega buck. So it was really cool to harvest, um, to be able to learn so much from harvesting this or hunting this big deer. And then with his world-class genetics, you know, harvesting what we believe is one of his offspring, which was just an absolute, what I'd consider a giant buck. So it was pretty cool. It kind of came full circle. It was a blessing to be able to hunt him and learn so much from him and then harvest a, a beautiful buck that he potentially produced. Yeah, dude, the whole story, uh, it's pretty unique. It's pretty cool. And uh, somebody else ended up taking him, I believe, didn't they? Um, well, someone had found his sheds. Oh, um, I, I that see. Was, that was, oh, I wanted his shed so bad and I knew where he was. But uh, I just, he, he shed pretty early that year. And he shed, I believe it was, you know, February, beginning of February, I want to say it was. And prior years, I'm pretty sure he had held his antlers longer than that. So I don't know if that was, uh, you know, maybe the start of something going wrong. Because typically if they're under stress or um, 
you know, there might be something wrong. They will shed their antlers earlier. Um, I mean, I know they're heavy, but I just, I felt like that was early. And then that following year, he just, I never seen any antler growth and he just thought he wasn't around either. He died after shedding his antlers or when they're killed. I'm not sure, but that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> he disappeared. Bummer, man. Yeah. Oh, well. It, it, um... it stung. It still stings today because I've, We've had so many close encounters with them where we probably uh-huh. should have harvested them. Like the one night we were sitting there and uh, just a, it was probably 140 inch class block came out right in front of us, but we called him stubby because he had really short tines. He came out and started pawing the ground and we're like, what the heck? And he was looking around the corner and lucky came running by us at 10 yards, literally right below us. And I, he was just running up to this other buck and then they were like fighting so hard. It was just that night was amazing because there was geese all in the field, in the grain field. They're fighting amongst these geese. It was almost like, uh, I, if, if you're ever to picture some dream shot, that was it. And uh, he ne- when they broke, he never presented a shot. And he was right there. He was right in, right where we wanted him to be. And it just didn't work out. But, yeah, it was, it was definitely a few experiences I'll never forget on that deer. Yeah, it's tough not to uh, force a shot on – in a situation like that when you want it so bad so absolutely I mean, uh, it yeah. uh, goes good on you for uh, for not shooting when maybe uh yeah, I, maybe I you could have would hate but, to yeah. wound a magnificent animal like that. yeah you well no to, doubt when it, when it comes time you want to make sure you you can get a good arrow in them yeah well anyway that's uh that's a cool story and live to hunt another day i guess eh yep absolutely yeah i uh i took more from that not getting them and hunting him than uh that I'll be able to use in the future for sure. Just all the experiences and their learning lessons. So yeah, definitely. But that's for whitetails. Like there's with any kind of big game hunting, there's things you learn like for elk, for instance, like we never really, my dad never hunted elk and we just kind of got into it and it took us four years to harvest one. And I finally harvested one last year. That'll be showcased in this season, a nice. moment of truth. And it's just such a cool story because it kind of shows from totally green to end up harvesting one from start to finish it was a four-year quest so there's uh yeah that was white tails and then elk there's totally different things you got to learn to be able to you know have success yeah nothing uh it's tough to beat your first elk man it's uh, oh, yeah. else. such a neat animal especially on the grill <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i don't know those antelope are pretty good too i i gotta admit yeah. i uh, i love them the taste of them antelope i was surprised too my dad harvested their one two years ago he finally got his draw and man it was so good eating because you know when they're when they're all rutted up their glands definitely don't smell the best and uh, i was like oh he's pretty stinky but then once we skinned the mountain stuff and cooked it fresh it was unbelievable all we had was salt pepper and some butter and he uh it was really good fun hunt too yeah yeah man i always thought those things were part of the goat family but turns out they're not yeah i've never had the pleasure to go in the mountains and hunt mountain goat but definitely on the bucket list to hopefully be able to pursue one day i've never really i've yet to do a mountain hunt and uh it's definitely you got to know what you're doing if i i feel like it's not like you just go up there and give her it's you got to be prepared yeah yeah for sure and but it's it's uh you know it's it's just like anything else you know it's mountain hunted kind of accustomed to that style of hunting and then when i went out to alberta everything was new and exciting for me and you know i was like a rookie all over again so um yeah. yeah it's uh that's a cool thing about hunting for sure oh yeah you can always there's always things to do to keep you interested occupied and uh just 
here in Alberta with the general tags that we can get, whether I can pull, I can grab my moose, my elk, my whitetail mule deer, and then uh, primitive weapon season whitetail. So that alone keeps us real busy because there's just for the most part that and myself and to produce 10 or more episodes. It's uh, I mean, you start out the season, it's like, uh, I feel a bit of weight on my back. I'm like, okay, yeah, all this preparation, we, we got to produce and uh, get some footage. And, you know, as you start harvesting each animal, it, uh, that weight just turns into pure joy. And it's, uh, and then once the season's over and you get to rewatch it all, then I'm excited to produce the episodes and get them out to uh, share to our viewers. Yeah. It must go fast. eh? Fly by. Once the you know, be, yeah. Yeah. I, well, last, typically we hunt almost every day. So it gets a little grueling, um, right. especially if it's like, take like last year, we just struggled with moose. We had some close encounters and uh after a month of hunting them it's like cool you get pretty drained and but i mean i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world right i'd do that if uh if it wasn't what i was um doing for for my work so yeah how long does it take for that pressure to set in where you're like man we're we're doing a moose episode we got to get it you know what i mean like <laughs> you got to got to see a moose uh, here we got to get a moose well, all that pressure is basically before season i'm it's uh, i try not to think about it because i know Cause we hunt a lot. When you put the time in, eventually you get reward with an opportunity. That's what I found. Anyways, if you can put in the time, eventually a deer or something will walk in front of you. Um, because that's a big thing is having patience. So I just try to stay real patient with it. Um, usually whitetails, we, we scout them so much and we've been able to build up quite a few good spots that if we put in the time, it's just that we'll probably harvest one mule deer. We've been, we usually start off whitetail, mule deer, elk, and then obviously moose at the end of se- September. Um, we kind of have a flow. I mean, we've kind of learned how to do it over the years and uh, where to put our time in. And it's, it's worked out luckily enough. I mean, I feel super blessed to have the hunting seasons we've had because, you know, it is hunting. You never know what could happen. And I'm sure one of these years it's going to be like, holy smokes, we keep getting skunked hunt after hunt. But uh, you just got to stay persistent and it seems to work out. Yeah. So how, how much does your preseason scouting play into all this? Like, you know, right now, I mean, you know, we're going into yeah. Canada day coming up here. We got a couple months of, you know, no hunting, how much, you know, how, how hard are you working it with your preseason scouting? Um, you know, I'll just for this year, for reference, like we've, I know our spots and I've kind of, we've hunted them for a few years. So I kind of know what to, what I'm looking for but uh for the most part it's just I'm going to be setting out cameras probably come here in July uh if I set them out now it's just such a tease I get like this nice buck starting to grow antlers and just no points yet and it's like oh my gosh what is he gonna be and it's a tease so I try to wait till July I try not to jump the gun and I'll just go put out a bunch of trail cameras reveal it reveal cellular cameras and uh I try not to go in too much that's a nice thing about cell cams is I don't, I just go in, set them up, and then I don't have to keep bringing in scent because it's, you know, for a younger deer and maybe even a bigger deer, but some of the deer we hunt, if you're leaving scent, they're so wise that, you know, they, they typically might avoid that area. So I'll throw in some trail cameras and then I'll get uh, my burst spotting scope and I'll just, it's odd night, I'll just go out to, I'll pick a spot and I'll go and watch and just see what they're doing because a lot of those summertime patterns are going to, you know, they're going to start, they'll do those right into September and uh, they might shed their velvet and switch up a little bit. But I find 
right into like kind of the end of September, you know, their summertime patterns are pretty similar to their summer or their the summertime patterns are pretty similar to the September patterns. Then October stuff can just hit the fan and they go, they spread out. So it's hard to say, but yeah, I like to, I like, I personally like to hunt my deer and set my white tailed deer in September, just because I do, I'm able to scout because my, the pieces we hunt aren't too far from home. And uh, I just like watching them, seeing what they're doing, figuring them out and then trying to go in and get them. Yeah. So a little harder in the in September though I for whitetail I'm I've never had any luck like the only whitetail I've ever shot has been uh, in the later months of December when they're rutting so um, oh yeah I've never had never had any luck uh, I mean granted I'm not hunting them too hard I'm I'm kind of concentrating on elk and the mule deer early early in the season so yeah um, um, yeah, I, yeah I don't know if it's harder but um it, like it's definitely longer days so. Sometimes I find that uh, they'll come out a bit earlier because it's such a long day. As soon as it starts to cool off, they'll come out. But yeah, if, typically if you're if you're just sitting there um, in September, it can be tough. Like come November when when they rut here, uh, you can almost sit anywhere and have a buck come by. You know they're pretty they're pretty random, and uh, it's a definitely a good time to be out in the field sitting there. Like if I had to pick one time to sit, it would be the rut, of course. But I just like trying to get my white tail early so I can focus on mule deer, elk, yeah. moose. Get and it then, off the list. Uh, yeah. And it's been, you know, over the, like when I was younger, I was actually harvesting bigger bucks than I am now. It's not that there's not bigger bucks around. It's just I, it's hard to dedicate a lot of time to white tails to try to kill a giant deer. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this year, I'm, I don't know. I just have a really good feeling about this year. We've been letting some good deer grow up. And uh, if they if they come back this year, I'm hoping I can kill a real good one. But usually, when the first mature, respectable buck gives me an opportunity, I'm gonna take it because they get me going just as much as a big one. And uh, they're definitely respectable deer, especially if they're mature. Uh, that's all I look for in a whitetail buck. But I'm hoping this year I'm gonna beat my score record. We'll see. Fingers crossed. So, are you hunting? Like, do you do you have certain areas that you just stick to, or do you guys are you guys constantly looking for? For new ground or you you know how does that kind of work or you yeah i imagine you guys hunt a lot of private property yeah yeah we hunt uh basically 100 percent of private property for deer um yeah we kind of try to stick to the same general area just so driving isn't like crazy we're not putting on a ton of miles but uh, we have our bow spots which are within a bow zone and then uh our rifle spots that we'll go to later in the year um, typically like that's where my dad will hunt. He, he likes rifle hunting and, um, as well as my girlfriend, she usually pulls out the rifle after bow season. So, uh, yeah, we kind of try to stick to a certain area. Um, big thing for me is I'll, if I'm looking for a new area, I'll go on my iHunter app, whether it's on the desktop or my iPad, whatever. And I'll just look at, uh, you know, pieces that catch my eye and I'll mark them down. And then one day I'll just go for a drive and go have some conversations with some uh, landowners and hopefully get in it's uh, a lot of times it don't work out but uh when it does it's pretty exciting i just love pick, finding a new property getting permission and just wondering what the possibilities could be you set up a trail camera you're always hoping for that 200 and it rarely never happens but you truly never know and that's that's one of the exciting parts about finding new area yeah, i mean the use of trail cameras you know i use a lot of trail cameras and it it you know it attributes to about 
I'd say 50% of my success is just, uh, is just the use of trail cameras. So how many trail cameras are you running typically a year? Uh, this year I'll run seven cellular cameras. And then, um, you know, I, the, where I don't have a cell cam, I'll just put up a regular camera, but usually it's, we have one or two in each of our spots. So I'd say normally we run, you know, up towards upwards to eight or maybe 10 at the most. But I see, I fell in love when I first started, we didn't really use trail cameras. We just scouted from afar with glass and I really fell in love with that. And it's been trail cameras have been so, they make your life a lot easier because you set them up and you don't have to go out there and get eaten alive by mosquitoes and stuff. And it's just 24 seven surveillance, but there's still, I still think looking through glass, if you can, in a certain spot is important because that trail camera, it only shows you what walks in front of it. A lot of times. I've seen big deer avoid trail cameras and I've also had a trail camera up in the spot and never got a buck on camera, but yet I go and sit there and I watch him come out and do a certain thing. So oh, yeah. there's no, there's, there's definitely a use for both, but yeah, trail cameras are just crazy, especially with cellular cameras. And, and I, I believe in BC, you're not allowed to use cellular cameras. Yeah. We're not allowed to use them during uh, specific yeah. times of the year, uh, but oh, during okay. the pre-season uh, yeah. like right now you could, you could use them. Uh, the trouble is cell service. We don't have a lot of cell service. we got a lot of yeah. and stuff. So For cell sure. service isn't the best. I have one of those, but I, uh, I don't have it set up through a cell phone. It's just, I have yeah. got to walk in and, and uh, check your cameras. I try not to do it too much. Sure. I, I run about anywhere from yeah, no, seven to 10 cameras depending on how many of the bears get on um, yeah. the bears like to eat those things i don't know what it is i don't know oh, yeah. if it's this like maybe there's uh something on your fingers maybe a part of a chocolate bar or something got left on your fingers and it's rubbing on the camera yeah. but man they just seem to just come up and chew those things because we don't even bait bears here so it's not like mm-hmm. they're in the area but it's just the funniest thing all of a sudden you'll get uh you'll find go up to your trail camera and you'll see it sitting on the ground and it's half chewed and you pull the card out and you see the yeah. inside of a i think it's Sure. I think it's the human the... scent and they, they get curious and of course they're going to start gnawing on it. They're pretty destructive little guys. Yeah. And they're curious buggers is all hell too. So, yeah, I know, I, I know at the bear bait, especially if it starts running low and they get bored, say goodbye to your trail camera. If you don't have it <laughs> in a lock box or screws on the antenna, cause they get bored and curious and then they go over and they start chewing it. Like I've been putting a tack to cam down at the camera or at the bear bait. Sorry. Um, just for another angle with the remote. And every time I set it up, I try to pile sticks on it or like moss, but they always go up to it and they're just, they get in their mouth and they just start chewing it right away. And I hear the crunching. I'm like, ah, no, there goes my camera. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're definitely curious, um, curious critters. Yeah. I've even had, I've had um, bears pull that, that uh, box off the, off a tree. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that'd be bad. Just chewed on it, on it. Finally, he popped it off their bugger. But uh, yeah, so yeah. they get expensive. Those bears are expensive. Oh, one hundred percent. Especially yeah. with gas and driving up and baiting, and here in Alberta, it's yeah, she gets she gets pretty pricey. Yeah, no doubt. What so that's one thing I've always wondered is the bait process of that of of these bears, like what typically what's it cost cost to run a bait, and like how often do you have to rebait it? Um, it, it really depends on the bait, I guess, because for us, we, we're pretty, we keep our costs down a lot. Like essentially it's just gas. 
we have a good connection with a bakery. We get a lot of bread and then we just buy um, like a 500 pound tote of oats. And that usually lasts us, lasts us bear season. So, you know, um, it's, it's pretty low, like it's pretty cost effective for us. It's just the most of gas money driving there rebating because if you have a good bait going, like we have two barrels at our bait, um, they can eat that in three days. It's like, Holy smokes. So next year we'll probably put a third barrel and uh, be able to go once a week, but to keep, it's so important to keep it stocked up. So you're basically driving once a week, whatever gas that is. And then if you are buying your, a lot of your bait, um, that'll add up too. But for us, we keep it pretty low cost, but I do know guys that there'll be like, say three guys running a few baits and they all chip in like a couple grand and have an unbelievable bear season. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Which would still be cheaper than booking through an outfitter, but it just, it is a lot of work for sure. Yeah. Did you get out this spring and, and, uh, have any luck yeah. with the bear? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> we had a pretty, it was the we, we can uh, we can up. save save uh, the the goods for the show coming up. I imagine it's going to be uh, on <laughs> yeah TV. yeah. We'll actually have two bear episodes this year because oh, cool. um yeah. It started out we we went out baited bears. I was so excited. We found a new great spot, and unfortunately, we had a few G bears come rolling through and uh, just devastate our bait sites, wreck all the barrels and stuff. So that was pretty devastating. We had to pick up shop and leave that area and go to a brand new area so it kind of threw us for a huge loop thankfully we had some good friends offer us to hunt their bait site so we started baiting a, a bait site with a father and son as well it was their they had just set up that year they harvested one bear on already and they were kind of slowing down and they were almost done with it for the year so we started baiting it with them and uh there, be there was a beautiful cinnamon in there and a big black and i hunted the big black for ooh, probably 10 or a dozen nights it didn't work out and then uh, the cinnamon came in and I'd never harvested a color phase. So I took them and I was uh, so thrilled with it. And it's going to make a beautiful trophy for the trophy room. And then my girlfriend harvested a beautiful bear and uh, his dad and partner, um, his uh, police partner uh, harvested bears as well. So, it was, so it's going to be bear mania. It's going to be a lot of bear kills in our, in our new season. So I'm, excited. I'm looking forward to putting it together. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to watching it. That's cool. Uh, yeah, nothing beats a nice big color phase bear. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they're they're cool to watch. I just like watching them personally. You go in there and you see all their uh, just their attitudes and their characteristics between bear to bear. It's it's really cool. I enjoy yeah. it a lot. Yeah, no, and it breaks up the time between fall definitely. to fall. You get to do some spring hunting. Yeah, it's man um i love i love chasing the the spring black bears um we we uh unfortunately we don't uh we don't get to bait them here so we gotta yeah. hone our calling skills and we're not allowed to use electronic uh calls either so you oh really? really wow yeah. yeah so you gotta how do they come into the call do they come barreling in or do they come uh, i've had them come i've had them come running in hard which gets your heart pumping pretty good because uh, you start hearing the bush crash and you start hearing these footsteps and you don't know if it's a grizzly or if it's a black bear. So um, yeah, you definitely you want to be set up somewhere where you're not going to get ambushed yourself um, is number one. And uh, but then again, you know, I've had bears come in just really casually, nonchalantly, and then uh, I've had they're they're funny animals. They eh? like they I've had them come in and they come and have a look and. Um, they're just not interested. They turn around and just see their butt head back into the thick and 
yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're neat critters. That's for sure. You get a lot of fun, uh, watching them and hunting them. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're, uh, you're a big archery hunter. How long uh, have you been, uh, shooting your bow? Uh, I think I, I got my first bow when I was about eight. It was just like a little 30 pound bow. And when I first got, it, I was just so into gun hunting that I didn't really give it a good look. And then one day, I don't know, I was just bored. I picked it up and my dog stuffed animals were like all throughout the yard. And like, there was like little deer ducks and whatever, just stuffies that they chew on. And uh, I draw back my bow, let her fly and I'd smoke in it. It was actually, I don't know, that's kind of how I started. I was just shooting my dog stuffed animals in the yard. And there was something about the arrow flight and hitting it. And I was shooting it instinctively at that time that it just, uh, it was really, it was cool. I thought it was really cool. Then I started watching more bow hunting videos, um, went out, bought my first real compound bow with sights and rest and stuff. And I was just, I practiced so much with it and shot it a lot. And I just, I was really obsessed with just how, everything about it. I just really love shooting a bow, um, watching that arrow fly and hit the target. It's pretty cool. So I just uh, naturally wanted to start shooting stuff with it. So I started off with rabbits and small game and then I turned 12 and uh, one of the farmers that we had waterfowl hunted on, he was like, oh, I was cutting hay. And, you know, I, I was seeing these deer come out of the slough bed. And I'm like, oh, okay. And my dad and I, we went and kind of scouted it out, set up a ground blind. First night ever in the ground blind. We're sitting there, most gorgeous night, geese flying over. Um, just everything I love about being outside. And my dad's like, here comes some antler tips. I'm like, no way. Because I thought for sure this wasn't going to work because we were just on the edge of a slough bed. I mean, there was a few trails, but we'd only watched it the one night and we didn't see anything come out. We just set up strictly on the trails that we had seen and there was antler tips coming. I'm like, Oh my gosh, my heart's just pounding. We're in a little doghouse ground blind and uh, these deer end up coming. The big one was at 40. It was probably 130, 140 class inch buck. But for me, I was just like, that's a giant at the time I was 12 years old. And, uh, he, he kind of skirted and I did have a 40 yard pin. Didn't feel comfortable taking that shot. Cause I was just absolutely jacked. And then the, the smaller of the two, he came in, he was 20 yards and I, we're, we're tucked in this little blind. It's more so for a one man rifle hunting, not to draw a bow back in. Cause we didn't have the right ground blind at the time. So I'm trying to, I'm trying pulling them. So I was pulling 42 pounds, 12 year old. I wasn't the biggest guy in the world. So I was drawing it back. I finally got it back. I put my pins on them, shot, and it was just a lighted knock. And it was kind of getting to dusk, sailed through there. I crushed them. I think my dad and I almost collapsed the ground blind. We got so excited. We were just jumping up and down. That was probably the most excited we've ever been. And it was just an incredible moment. And ever since then, I've been really obsessed with bow hunting. Uh, you rarely see a gun in my hand or a rifle man, but I did harvest a buck a few years ago with the rifle. Normally, if it's real, I'm really struggling with the bow. I'll pull with the rifle. I, uh, for me, the rifle hunting super relaxing because I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's um, it extends ex extends your range. And for me, it's a little less stressful. It's just you sit there, and if one comes out, you shoot it. Right, bow hunting. There's so many different aspects. You just got to get so close, come to full draw, make the shot. There's a lot to it. So, yeah. Ever since then, I've been obsessed and. It's just what I love to do. Yeah, there's something about that first animal you harvest with the bow. It's just, uh, man, it yeah. blows you away for the first time. I mean, it's exciting with your rifle, with the first time with your rifle, but with a bow, you got to get so close and be so, you know, it's just so interacted with that animal that it's just, yeah, yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty special. Totally it's, different game. 
Yeah. And it's okay. nice because it extends your season too. You get out, you can get out in the bush hunting earlier. So yeah, for us, it's a little later. We got a pretty liberal rifle season here. Ours is damn near three months for whitetails for rifles. So, but it yeah. does, it does get uh, 20 extra days in, in the winter time there to, to chase oh, whitetails. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm, right the, same, I'm yeah. the same way, man. As soon as I start getting really frustrated, I'm, I'm packing up my, my rifle and yeah. So that's cool. So yeah, that's a nice thing for when I bow hunt whitetails, it's typically in a boat bow only zone. So it keeps you, it keeps you going with the bow because yeah. it'd be tough to pull out the bow during rifle season. It's uh, cause for me, it's just the thought of our absolute giant coming out at like 80 plus yards out of bow range. And then, you know, you can't make the shot with the bow. And if you had a rifle, he'd be dead. I just, Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't handle a giant walking out in, uh, in rifle range, but not in bow range. So that's what I actually really love about bow hunting in uh, a bow only zone is cause it just keeps you going with the bow and motivated to get it done. And I just love that. Yeah. Probably a lot less uh, under stress or pressure too during, uh, during the bow season, I imagine. Yeah, uh, it's actually, I think it's worse. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's surprising. So. Yeah, when we go out into the, like uh, like our rifle area, there's definitely less hunting pressure than the, the bow zone that we hunt. It's every bush is, there's a tree stand and someone's hunting if you're able to. So the deer are pretty witty, but uh, they can grow big because they're not getting, you know, you got to get up tight and close to them. But yeah, it's, yeah, there's, bow hunting's become so popular over the years. Um, I, even like when I started bow hunting the area we do 10 years ago, it was nothing like it is now. She's, she's busy, but it's good to see the industry's booming. And, um, I'm glad people love it as much as I do personally. So it's, uh, it is nice to see, and it just makes it a little harder, but, um, I think there's nothing wrong with it. That's for sure. No. And it's definitely, you're right. It's definitely trending, um, archery hunting, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's good, but, uh, you know, one thing all our archery hunters know that, uh, you know, shooting a target is very different from shooting in the field and, and shooting an animal. What are some of the things you Absolutely, do, yeah. do are some of the things you do during the off season, uh, you know, with your bow in terms of shooting techniques and, and, and stuff that kind of prepares you for the hunting season? Um, you know, I credit a lot of my uh, bow hunting success to being proficient with my bow because, you know, you put in all this work, you want to be able to, you put in all this work to get the opportunity. You want to be proficient with your bow to make the, you know, make it count in the moment of truth. Like rather than a swing and a miss, um, you're able to land that shot and put the animal down. So if you're going to be putting in all the work, you may as well get put in the work and get good with your bow is the way I look at it. And, and you owe it to the animal too, to make a good shot. So um, for me, I just, I do a lot of practicing. I've, I, I always have, cause I do love shooting my bow. Um, I got really into 3d archery and tournaments. So I kind of, I shot a lot of tournaments and I got to learn how to shoot under pressure in a tournament. It's definitely not like shooting at an animal is totally different aspect, but it definitely helps. Like when you're shooting a tournament and there's something on the line and there's a bit of added pressure, um, that's the closest I've kind of got to the feeling of shooting, um, an animal, I guess shooting in the backyard I've I've even shot with guys where they're just putting her in there at 80 yards and then they think they can go hunt at 80 yards and I mean maybe but when it comes time and your heart's pounding and the animal's standing there and there's so many different variables like him being able to take a step this and that it's just not the same but throughout the summer I, uh, I do a lot of shooting I actually have a membership at a local 3d archery range they have three loops and I'll just go with you know whoever and shoot shoot a few loops shoot 3d targets and I think that helps you keep, just keep you in, in zoned 
and uh, yeah. being able to, you know, stay proficient. So that's what I do. I like to practice longer distances too, because when you're shooting 80 and then you move back into 40, um, it really, it, yes. it's, uh, yeah, that's, it uh, yeah, that's, uh, target gets a lot bigger at 40 than it is at 80. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, I know the same. I know a lot of guys that are shooting at 80 and they figure they're going to walk into the field and do it. But you no, know, once you get out there, there's, you know, there's just so much going on. There's wind and just straight yeah. up weirdness. And yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And for me personally, like I know some people hold their composure really well when there's an animal there. Me, I'm kind of borderline. I get so jacked that, you know, my knees are shaking, my arms are shaking. So, um, yeah, I want to be able to, <laughs> I want to be proficient with my bow because those added elements definitely make it harder. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, that's, I kind of, at times I was like, Oh, I wish I didn't get so riled up, but that's, that's all part of it. That's what I love about it. Cause I think if that aspect was taken out of it, it wouldn't be as exciting. Cause when it all works out, you're jacked, you're shaking and you're able to put that perfect shot on them. There's just no better feeling. It's, it's really, that's what I live for is that right there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think we all do. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a blast finally catching up with you here, man. I know we've, uh, we kind of, we kind of chatted a bit, uh, there for a while, trying to line something yeah. on to get you on the show here. So totally sure. pumped, totally pumped that, uh, you could spend a bit of time and, uh, and join me on the show and, and make that work. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I always like talking hunting. So anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe one quick thing before you, uh, before you take off here, you know, you know, and I know you've, you've probably inspired tons of 18 and nine year olds to become, you know, the, the next Mitchell payment. What, uh, kind of advice would you give, uh, give to those hunters? Uh, you know, I get messaged quite a bit about that, um, where to start and how to get into it. And, uh, it's definitely, if it's a dream of yours, like I think in the, our society today, if you have a goal and if you have a dream, you just got to pursue it. There's so many options to make it happen. Um, no matter what it is. So I think if, especially with the hunting side of things, just start filming your hunts, get into it and, uh, start accumulating footage and be dedicated to it and get good footage. And the, the sky's the limit. You just got to start somewhere and anything good takes time. You know, you, you got to start somewhere, whether it's a YouTube channel, pro staffing for another show, or even just contacting a network and trying to get your own show. I know wild TV is always looking for new influencers. Um, if you think you can do it, give them a shout and, uh, it's definitely worth a shot. There's no doubt about it. If it's a dream of yours. Yeah. You never know until you try. That's for sure, man. Yeah. No. Okay, man. Where and, can, uh, uh, people find you and follow you and, uh, and keep tabs on what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, follow me on at Mitchell payment on Instagram. Um, I post a lot of my stories on there. Can I give them an update on my day-to-day -day life as well as posts and the same as to, to facebook it's just moment of mitchell payments moment of truth tv as well as the youtube channel where we post all of our um past and prior episodes on there and uh we do we're going to be doing a post a month here um on there as well just whether it's just day-to-day -day, whether it's going fishing doing whatever practicing we'll be posting more on there as well so yeah you can find us there and then of course on wild tv we'll be our new season will be premiering this fall at the end of September. And I'm so excited to share it because I think it's definitely one of our, I say it every year, oh, it's one of our best seasons yet, but <laughs> I mean, and it's a good season. I'm so excited to share it. So. Yeah, that means it's getting better. Okay, buddy. Uh, thanks again. Eh? And, uh, you know, uh, look Absolutely. forward to the new season. Uh, 
yeah, well, uh, I'll have uh, all your stuff on uh, in the show notes here, so people can just click on it and uh, and keep tabs on what you guys are up to. Thanks a lot, man. Right on. Thank you. Thanks okay. for chatting. Take care. Bye bye.